0: Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to KDVS, College Radio, right here, FM. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We are especially proud to bring you on our second segment today, the director of the movie Enron, the smartest guys in the room, one alexander gibney mr gibney previously produced the excellent documentary the trials of henry kissinger which we which we told you about some uh, some time back uh we we talked to our media correspondent our special media correspondent gary chu on last week's program about this documentary currently playing at the tower Uh, gary liked it very much and uh, uh both mr mcmillan and i had a chance to see it over the weekend and we did too we recommend it to you very highly and hope you'll stay tuned for our second segment to hear what the director has to say about it, which is quite a lot. Our opening quote for the day comes from George Bernard Shaw, a source of many a good quote. The power of accurate observation is often called cynicism by those who do not have it. We've been accused at time in this program of cynicism. We'd like to think that it's just the power of accurate observation. Today, of course, is the Cinco de Mayo, Uh, and on this date in history, in 1862, the Mexican army, uh, ill-equipped and uh, ill-trained, defeated the invading army of uh, Napoleon III, the nephew of Napoleon Bonaparte. Uh, Originally, the English, French, and Spanish had sent in uh, armies to demand that Mexico repay foreign debts. The English and Spanish left, the French stayed, they uh, managed to get themselves embroiled in a battle at one point with the forces of uh, of President Benito Juarez, which is an interesting story, we should take a minute to tell it. Uh, Apparently, uh, Presidente Juarez had anticipated the French invasion and ordered Ignacio Zaragoza, general, to defend the city of Puebla. Zaragoza's army consisted of about 3,500 mestizos and Zapotec Indians armed with tools and farm implements. They would appear to have been no match for the highly trained invaders, but the Mexican cavalry arrived under Brigadier General Porfirio Diaz, later the country's president and dictator. The Mexicans had the high ground. The surrounding area was thick with mud as the result of a recent thunderstorm, and as the Mexicans waited, the French foot soldiers surged forward and became promptly mired in the muck. At this moment, Zaragoza ordered Diaz and the cavalry to charge. To compound the chaos, the Mexicans stirred hundreds of cattle to stampede. With stampeded cattle and apparently farm implements and a small cavalry, the Mexican army defeated the French. It's an interesting little tidbit in history. What I find most interesting about Cinco de Mayo is how nobody in Mexico apparently celebrates it. When Cinco de Mayo arrived in the scene in California, and I believe the early 70s, I remember everyone I know being baffled because they'd never heard of it. In spite of having many Mexican people living in the region, they didn't celebrate it. But someone decided that well, as a point of pride, it would be good to have a celebratory holiday, and uh, and basically that's how we got the Cinco de Mayo here in California. I've had many Mexican friends ask me, what's the deal with the Cinco de Mayo going on in California? I mean, they know the history, they, they know it happened, but it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's not celebrated down there. I don't know. What the heck? It's a holiday, go have a margarita, mm-hmm. celebrate, the the friendship of our, of our two great nations, the United States and Mexico, uh, which are still friends even though the territory that you're in right now, well, used to be Mexico and now is the United States. And in 1959 in the United States, the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences announces the winner of the first Grammy Awards. Henry Mancini won Best Album Award for The Music from Peter Gunn. All right, some random statistics. Uh, Only 23% of people between the ages of 18 and 29 read a newspaper regularly, according to the Washington Post. A statistic I find worrisome. The average wedding in the U.S. now costs more than $26,000, according to knight Ridder newspapers. That's a 50% increase since 1990. And, of course, we have to make passing mention of the national story, the national news story of the runaway bride in Florida who apparently got cold feet and flew the coop. (laughs) The most amazing thing about this story for this correspondent is that the jilted groom still wants to marry her. When fate intervenes, and lets you know that your bride-to-be is nuttier than a fruitcake, you should take the clue. Give back the ring. Move on. Forget the wedding. Hello? (coughs) Love is a strange business. All right, we were sent an email by actually our media correspondent, Gary Chu, a couple weeks back that I thought was worthy of excerpting. This was in regard to events swirling around Rome, uh, between, uh, between popes, as it were. According to the article, the almost 120 cardinals from around the world that gathered to choose a successor in the Vatican's Sistine Chapel were stunned and expressed amazement. Cardinal Mahoney, the Vatican spokesperson, had this to say. We in the conclave are all shocked. We cast our votes using these new electronic voting machines manufactured by the Silvio Berlusconi Corporation, And the results overwhelmingly favored George W. Bush over all the Catholic candidates. From the White House, George Bush uh, said, I'm honored to be the spiritual lighthouse and the very first war pope. I promise evangelical Catholics and Protestants alike that I'll be embroiled in salvation and fair in the performance of my duties, which I'm tasked for. From our Only in America file, we have a story that ranks up, I think, with The Runaway Bride. Apparently, a duo working on a home in uh, Muthin, Massachusetts, discovered some old currency, which was actually quite valuable. Uh, (laughs) What the men did was then hid it from the the person who owned um, the house they were working on and claimed that they dug it up in their backyard. Um, now, apparently, according to the police authorities, uh, the men who said they found 1,800 banknotes and bills dated between 1899 and 1928 would have gotten away with it. Uh, the value of the fine is between 50 and $75,000, but unfortunately they couldn't resist making several appearances on national television last week. After making these several appearances on national TV, the police noticed that the details of the stories seemed to change with each appearance. The police chief of the town uh, told ABC that uh, the authorities might never have suspected anything had the men not sought publicity. Sometimes wanting to be famous is really the downfall of people. And a uh, woman in Las Vegas who said she'd bitten into a human fingertip in a bowl of Wendy's beef chili uh, was arrested last week. I did note that the coroner said that the finger, complete with a well-manicured nail, was, quote, not consistent with an object that had been cooked in chili at 170 degrees for more than three hours, unquote. The woman, Anna Ayala, 39, had a history of suing big companies. Wouldn't you like to go back and see what other companies she sued and what her excuse for uh, you know needing a settlement was? I'd like to know that. And the Week magazine uh, this week, uh, disappointing selection, I thought, but I did like the fact that it was a good week for magic tricks. After San Antonio mayoral candidate Julian Castro sent his identical twin brother, who had appeared at a a parade while he attended a different campaign event across town. We can't help that we look like each other, said Castro. I love this. Julian Castro has a future in politics. The issue is, is not whether the men look alike, it's whether one guy appearing at a campaign event is misrepresenting himself as someone else. Brilliant sidestepping of the credibility issue, I would say. And, um... Speaking of credibility, the Sacramento Bee had a guest cartoon on Monday that I took a look at and discovered that sometimes you, you get the news from cartoons. I did not know this. The uh, The Dan Zigger, New York Times Syndicate uh, cartoon, showed Ahmed Chalabi over a fallen soldier uh, with the note that Ahmed Chalabi, convicted bank fraud and embezzler who told the Pentagon that there were definitely weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, has been appointed Iraqi Oil minister. I hadn't heard this, so I looked it up on the web, and sure enough, after Iraq's new government failed to name a permanent oil minister, the coveted post was given on a temporary basis to Ahmed Chalabi, the repatriated former exile who admitted giving the Bush administration and members of the media false information about Saddam Hussein's weapons program before the, two, before the 2003 invasion. Chalabi A financier by trade has no experience in the oil industry. An unnamed Iraqi oil executive told Reuters, Chalabi won't let go of that oil ministry that easily now that he's finally got what he wants. So think about it. We've lost how many soldiers invading Iraq over false claims of weapons of mass destruction and the guy who lied has now been named the Oil minister of the world's third largest uh, oil reserve holding country, currently occupied U.S. forces, who are there because he helped put them there. Apparently, he's making quite a political comeback from the arrest at his house, where his computers were seized. <sighs> we'll continue to follow that story. We do note that over uh, in in other Iraqi matters. Uh, the Shiite-led cabinet, which has almost no Sunnis on board, is having a hard time filling these posts and forming a government, which is a power vacuum into which uh, Ahmed Chalabi inserted himself. Point speaking of credibility with mayors of San Antonio and, uh, and Iraqi weapons of mass destruction, uh, the issue. Of, uh, of those weapons, and, and uh, the, the rightness of the cause is dogging Tony Blair, currently up for the Prime Minister's post in the UK. Of course, it's a matter of if his party wins, he retains, uh, retains the role of being the British Prime Minister. But uh, the public never was in favor of the war in Britain, and they're giving him a very hard time on the matter. Uh, wouldn't it be refreshing if in this country the government was getting a hard time for having lied about the weapons of mass destruction? We'll see what happens to Tony. And here's an item you may have missed. The State Department puts out the hard data in an annual report on terrorism. It's called the Global Trends Report. Last week, the State Department announced that it would no longer, quote, release the numbers, unquote. It will just talk about terrorism in a general way, without quantifying whether the attacks are going up or down. It's been speculated in the foreign press that this sudden discretion uh, may have been intended to avoid having to release a report showing an increase in terrorism in 2004. The U.S. wishes to show that it is winning the war on terror, and uh, numbers that perhaps indicated something to the contrary are now going to be officially buried. This does bring some rather uh, some sad memories back about the fiasco that took place in Vietnam. We didn't make note of it, but uh, last week marked the 30th uh, year anniversary of the fall of Saigon to the uh, North Vietnamese armies. I was surprised to see a, a picture in the paper showing Vietnamese General Vo Nguyen Gap at age 93 Uh, With a clenched fist, uh, still celebrating the events of 30 years ago in the company of Raul Castro, the younger brother and designated successor to President Fidel Castro. Very strange to pause and take a moment and reflect on the fact that, uh, you know, we were given body counts and statistics uh, every night on the news back in the 60s showing that we too were winning the war Uh, there's uh, i think i can see the light at the end of the tunnel said uh, general william westmoreland but in fact uh, some people pointed out some wags pointed out the uh, the light at the end of the tunnel may have been uh, the headlights of the oncoming train Mercifully, uh, in the mid-70s, conflict uh, did wind down in, in Vietnam, and it is still seeking to rebuild and uh, has, um, has made some great progress. A lot of Americans are now uh, now returning. And uh, some sort of normality is, um, has been restored over the decades, as, as Vietnam, despite the presence of Raul Castro, uh, has moved away from a hardline communist stance. Let us end uh, this segment with uh, the following uh, miscellaneous file item. The city of Salem, Massachusetts, is apparently not completely sold on the idea of a statue being erected honoring the star of the TV show Bewitched. Thousands of tourists flock each year to the Massachusetts city, which was made famous by the Witch Hysteria of 1692. The TV Land Cable Network apparently wants to erect a nine-foot bronze statue in a city park honoring the late Elizabeth Montgomery, who played TV witch Samantha Stevens in the 1960s sitcom. Some residents have pointed out that the statue would be somewhat insensitive. Uh, Resident Gene Harrison told the Boston Globe that while Montgomery played a fictional comic witch, Those who were condemned to die in the Salem witch trials weren't witches at all and got the death penalty. Others have further pointed out that apparently the only connection between the TV show Bewitched and Salem, Massachusetts, was a visit to the city by the cast of the show in 1970. But apparently Civic Booster Mayor Stanley Yusevich, strongly supports the statue. He said it would be a fun spot for tourists to stop and have their pictures taken, and he also pointed out that, of course, the statue would be located far from Gallows Hill, where 19 accused witches were hanged in 1692. All right, I'm, I'm feeling a need for a break at this, at this juncture. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax, and you're listening to KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. And we caution you not to touch the dial because um, we'll be joined in the second segment by the distinguished film documentarian, Alex Gibney. We'll talk about his latest effort, Enron, The Smartest Guys in the Room.